Today we're starting a new sermon series, and we are working through um, some of the book of Jeremiah. Now, if anybody knows anything about Jeremiah, or if anybody was on Slack today, and so if you're, this is where you can start to really engage in Slack again, and I've seen a ton of stuff. Thank you for all the congratulations and the photos up on Slack. Um, this is where we're going to engage in Slack. So if you've been on Slack today, you already know the underpants story. Um, and so that's, that's part of Jeremiah, and you can find it. If you didn't see it yet, you can scroll back up in Slack, and you can, you can find where Jeremiah had, you know, was a youth pastor. Um, but, but we're going to go into Jeremiah and talk about the brokenness. So this next sermon series isn't a happy and yay and excited story. This is actually a sermon series where we're going to look at the real we're going to look at the brokenness. We're going to look at what's, what exists. And the next sermon series, we're going to talk about healing. Because we can't heal until we understand what's wrong. We can't, we can't move forward until we're able to recognize with eyes wide open and say there's something more that God wants to do. There's something more that God wants to say and have said to all of us. And so this is, this is where we need to look at the broken. So we're looking at the broken that Jeremiah existed in, in the, in the nation of uh, Judah and in the city of Jerusalem. And we're going to take a look at the broken of what surrounds us in typical church practice and how that affects us and how we're able to grow in it. And so this is, this is what we are doing over the next few days. So let me, let me start off by reading Jeremiah chapter 6, 13 and 14. For from the least of these to the greatest of them, he's talking, um, yeah, from the least of these to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace peace when there is no peace. See, we today are in a time of, of, of struggle. We're in a time of challenge, just culturally. You know, I talk to, I talk to my non-Christian friends, my non-church-going friends, and there is a sense of impending collapse. I talk to the younger generations, and there's a sense of foreboding, a sense of like, how is all of this going to wash? How is all of this going to make sense? Where is this leading us? A sense of, of, of our normalcy being invaded. And that's, that's kind of what's happened over the past couple of years. Our normalcy has been invaded with, with anxiety and fear and pandemic and, and, and division. And this is something that is happening and so being in these days, we can empathize when we understand. We can empathize with the days of Jeremiah. There is a sense of impending doom. And so in, to start this series, we, we just need to take a look at it. There's a sense of impending doom and trial. And there are people who are saying, it's going to get better, guys. It's all going to be roses and sunshine. Just, just hold on, guys. It's just going to get better. And, and then in, in our world today, there are people who are saying, it's just going to get worse, guys. It's going to get worse. And so we're divided between the Joel Osteens of this world and the, and, and, and the, and the, um, 
Jonathan Edwards of this world. And if you look back in history long enough, you know that Jonathan Edwards is famous for a sermon called People in the Hands of an Angry God, you know? And so we're somewhere in here living in this tension of what is going on. You know, the church finds itself divided, and Jeremiah in this time has a word from the Lord to all of us. And his basic words are, check who your gods are, and be transformed by the one true God. Check who your gods are and be transformed by the one true God. So the story of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is about 21 years old when he starts his prophetic ministry. You know, it, I, love, I loved reading up on Jeremiah because it was kind of encouraging. He grew up in the church system of his day. He grew up in the temple area. His, he, was, he was attached to a lot of different prophets in his day. And so he's 21 years old and family of priests, and, 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 and this was his experience approximately 30 years before Jeremiah was born, though. A major happening took place. A major, major story happened. And so this is what happened to Jeremiah's land 30 years, 30 years before Jeremiah is born, so 50 years before he starts his ministry. These are approximate dates. In 2 Kings 18, we find the story of Jerusalem being saved from invasion. See, Israel had split. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and Israel had split. Ten tribes to the north retained the name Israel as a country, and, ten, and two tribes to the south retained the, named, the, the, the name Judah, and Jerusalem was the center point of Judah. Jerusalem was where the temple was, where the, where the palace of the king was, where God had made promises to King David and said, you know, you will always have a descendant on the throne. That's why we look at Jesus from the lineage of David. You will always have somebody on the throne. If your children obey me and honor me with their whole life, you'll always have somebody on the throne. And so, and so this was the deal. And what happened is a huge country, Assyria, it was an empire, they came led by King Sacronib. I think I'm saying his name right, but I might not be because I've never actually heard it in its original language. And, and so he, he's, he comes down and he totally takes out Israel, the top 10 tribes. He just takes them off into exile, destroys them. And, and Judah is not shocked because there have been tons of prophets. You read the minor prophets, the short ones, that you feel like you want to get through a book of the Bible, so you just quickly read them. They're talking about, mostly they're talking about Israel getting taken off into captivity. But, but Judah, they're sure that nothing's going to happen to them. They're sure that God is going to protect the Temple Mount, that God is going to redeem them, that they are going to be vindicated. Their faith in God is going to see them through. They have a king who's looking, at, looking to God, and they're like, yes, we have faith in God. Does any of us have faith in God? I think that's why we're here today. We have faith in God. And so they go, we have faith in God. And the army, like picture this. We can't picture armies. It, it's, it's crazy. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. But we can't picture armies. But there's an army encircling the walled city of Jerusalem. There's no food coming in, nothing coming out. No people can escape. There is no, there is no rescue for these people in Jerusalem. 
The temple is under siege. And we see the miraculous happen. We see that one night, something happens to the army. Something so terrible, something so unbelievable happens to the army that the army retreats. They leave everything they have behind. And they retreat and they run away and they're, and they're totally, they abandon their invasion. Now this isn't just recorded in the Bible. This is actually recorded in like secular history where you see the, the retreat of the Assyrian army at Jerusalem. We know that this happened. And they retreated for no apparent cause. So the people of Israel say, look, our God has delivered us. There is nothing that can stand against us. We have a testimony that we stand strong and firm on that God is going to do something. And this is beautiful. What, a, what an awesome moment to live, to be like God has completely taken care of our very tangible, very real enemies. And so we know, and it's in, it's in current history, it's as recently as 1970. Think about that. It's as, it's as recent history as 1970. And it's like, oh, okay, so that's the type of timeline we're looking at. So 50 years later, Assyria falls to a nation called Babylon. And and Babylon is now with King Nebuchadnezzar, who you may have heard of because he was kind of a famous guy, because he had this massive empire. And King Nebuchadnezzar comes down and he surrounds Jerusalem. Well, just before he does this, Jeremiah starts saying there's, there's danger coming. There's danger coming. This place is going to be uprooted. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. This place is going to be uprooted. What happened to Israel is going to happen to us because we need to check who our gods are and be transformed by the one true God. This place is going to be uprooted. And so Jeremiah has been impacted by the warnings that Hosea gave to Israel. And Hosea called Israel an adulterous people. A people who, were, who said they were faithful and loyal to their commitment to God, but were, being, they were cheating on their commitment to God by serving other gods. And Jeremiah keeps on saying, wait a second. Something is coming. See, this is the danger that we fall into as a church. We can fall into a comfort. We can fall into a place where we say, oh, I, I've checked, my, I, I've checked my, my, my boxes, I've dotted my I's, I've crossed my T's, I've got everything sorted out, I'm good, and nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Sometimes we look at the kingdom of God like it's about how does it help me, my world, and my experience, and, and sometimes we, we actually start to betray that we have idols in our life that we're being loyal to. We have idols in our life that we're being loyal to, and I think we're in a day of Jeremiah where, where Jeremiah wasn't saying, this is guaranteed what's going to happen. He's saying, check your heart and your mind. Check your integrity. Are you truly following the one, God, the one true God? Are you being changed 
by him, Jeremiah saw an external form of religion. And he was concerned that his nation, his people, were relying on checking boxes instead of knowing the true God. You know, based on their history, the prophets, the church leaders of that day, were all saying, peace, peace, nothing can touch us, guys. Just keep on doing your sacrifices to, to, the God, to God at the temple, and you're going to be fine. Today, the equivalent is true. You keep coming to church, you do your thing, and you're just going to be fine. You don't need to worry about anything. And Jeremiah is saying, you know, it's not peace, peace. Our text today, if I read it again, from the least to the greatest of them, everyone's greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. They've healed the wound of the people lightly by saying, yeah, I know there's trouble and, and adversity in the world, but if you just come to service, you're going to be fine. It's just going to blow over, guys. It's just going to blow over. You're going to be completely fine without actually checking in and saying, God, where is my heart at? Am I being swept away by the idols of the culture? Am I no different than the culture around me? See, God isn't just saying, peace, peace. God is saying, I don't just want your religious observance. I want all of you. I want your entire heart. I want your dedication. I want you to abandon the gods of this world. See, God's going to be faithful to his... <laughs> promises. And that's something that Jeremiah talks about. See, God is faithful to his promises. He's always faithful to his promises, right? One of our messages, we're going to talk about investigating what God's promises were and how nuanced they were, because there are promises that he's going to make. <clears throat> there are promises that he's going to make, that he made in the Old Testament, that you didn't actually want to see happen. God promised that if Israel was not faithful, that he would remove them. That's a promise of God. We like promises to be all like funny, or fun, and nice, and fluffy, and enjoyable. But sometimes I have to promise my children that if they do not do something, this consequence will happen. And it's about that consistency of following through, and God looks at that and says, that's what's happening. See, the parallels for today are this. There are too many churches living in the world of Jeremiah. And I don't want us to be one of the churches that heal lightly. I want us to be one of the churches that actually take a look and encourage all of its community, all the people online, to be able to say, God is working in us. He is processing in us, and he will change us. So I'm going to give a couple of examples in the couple minutes that I have left. Someone says on Slack, you know, this could be a painful promises. So are we talking about a pain-peace paradox? Where you can't, where you have to experience the, the pain in order to get to the peace. Well, yeah, there's an element there where, where we are talking about that. We can't just fluff over stuff. We're learning that as a culture. Truth and Reconciliation Day. You can't just fluff over stuff. You've got to dig in and understand it. 
So there, there are parallels for today. Churches are living like that. They're banking on the positive promises of God, but they miss out on the reality that God's called for more than just giving us a nice life. He's called for us to be part of his process, part of his plan. And he's called us to grow and to change. God is calling this church to a place where we continually find ourselves seeking him with our whole heart. So let me give a couple of distractions. I read a book that was brilliant to read, and it's called You Are What You Love. And he talked about worship. And as he's going through worship, he's talking about secular worship. He's like, oh, we live in a post-Christian environment. True. But we all still have liturgies. He picked on one, for example. He said, we experience the temple of a mall. We experience that, we experience the, the materialism, the shopping, as a point of liturgy. We walk into a large temple that there's no clocks on the wall, that time stands still. We look at the idols of all of the people and the, what they have and the story they're telling us. Invariably, the story they're telling us is you don't measure up. They're telling us, the secular liturgy tells us consistently through all the means of advertising that you don't measure up to this standard. But it also provides hope. The hope this liturgy provides is that if you go through this, if you purchase this, there's a healing for you. You can measure up. Look at you. Look at yourself. You can now measure up. And so we've got this, this unworthiness exchanged for worthiness. As I purchase my new product, as I get that new car jack, as I, as I get that new gadget, as I get that new wardrobe, I exchange my product. I exchange my unworthiness for my worthiness. I'm now stepping up into the technical age because I have an iPhone 400. And, and I can step into something that I was not in before. I can upgrade my worthiness. This is nothing other than idolatry. It is, it is the same as what Jeremiah is experiencing when, when Jeremiah walks into the temple, and we'll see this in, in the future. He walks into the temple and he sees them doing all the proper sacrifices, but then in the inner rooms... He sees them sacrificing to other gods as well. Oh yeah, we checked the boxes, God, but we did all this other stuff on top of. Our hearts were truly not transformed. And so God is calling this church to a place where we continually find ourselves seeking him with our whole heart. Later in the book, Jeremiah calls the people toward God by saying in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with your whole heart. The problem that the people of Judah are facing, as we'll see in these other sermons, is that they're doing all the religion to make sure they feel good, but they're not doing it with all their hearts. And God is so interested in our heart. He's more interested in our heart than anything else. So today we ask ourselves, are we just looking for the Band-Aid solution to the turmoil in the world? 
Or do we actually as a people say, I want to get serious with God. I want to say, God, once again, yes, you have my heart. And then I want to lead other people to get serious with God and say, God, you have my heart. Are we willing to hear exactly what God is saying to us who follow him? And as, as a newly ordained minister, that happened. As a newly ordained minister, my goal is to lead this church community and a larger community into a place where we can see God's active molding hand in our life and in this community's life. I truly believe that God has set the church here to be his hands and feet, to be the hope of the world. And so I want you to seriously consider joining Corey in this new grant. I want you to really consider it. If it, if it needs, means that you need to zoom in, I'm sure they're going to figure out how to ha have that happen. If it means being in person, make it happen. If you were just part of a grant, okay, great. But if, if you haven't been part of a grant in the last couple of months, make it a priority. Do this. It may be, it might be our last one of 2021, or people are going to come up with more ideas. Who knows? But join this one. It's going to be important. It's going to be good because we get to be the hands and feet of God. Let me pray for this church. God, I'm reminded on Slack again that David was picked for great things with God because of his heart. That, that he had a heart attuned to you. And, and God, we know that David rose to prominence, that he influenced not just his family, not just his town, but his entire nation. He was the first person who was able to unite the entire nation. And, and, and God, yeah, we look at that and say, oh, that was four or 5,000 years ago. Oh, certainly that's not what's happening now. But God, this is what your spirit does. Your spirit calls people who place their heart truly on you and says you are going to be a difference maker. You are going to actually influence culture and not just have culture influence you. And so God, as we go through Jeremiah, as we think about the condition of our heart, God, I pray that you would be faithful to your promises as we rely on you, as we seek you with our whole heart as a collective that we would join our hearts in unity to seek your way. And God, I pray that this would be a season of deep-rootedness, as we talked about in our last sermon series, of deep-rootedness that would grow up and flourish. I pray a blessing on this congregation. I pray that you would be with them, speak through them words of truth, words of wisdom, and your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being a part of our service today. We are glad that you were able to join us. We look forward to seeing you next week, even though it is, I think, it's Thanksgiving. But come anyways. It's going to be awesome. All right. God bless you.